Okay, I'm going to read from uh, John's, John's Gospel. Uh, so if you want a Bible, put your hand up, they'll appear. Uh, John chapter 7, I'm reading from verse 10 to 41. Bit of an introduction, and then we're just going to whiz through it and see what lessons we can learn as we approach communion. And a uh, really time, I felt God saying in the week, of, of people coming back to him. People really giving their lives, not parts of their lives, their whole lives back to him. Trusting him. If we want to move forward as a church, we've got to let go of some attitudes and behaviours. And we've got to really embrace all the good things that God has uh, for us. So we're going to start by reading uh, John chapter 7, uh, 10 to 41. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own, it comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself, but he who works for the honour of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keep the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but through the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. At that time, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. And Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm only with you, sorry, I am with you only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood. And said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. And others said, He is the Christ. Last week, we talked about uh, costly discipleship, a cost of discipleship that costs us in different ways. We spoke about being a disciple and what does it mean? It's an apprentice looking to see what the master is doing and trying to emulate that and copy him and and the temptation to learn from the world and maybe friends and families but actually we've got to choose to learn from God, ultimately from God and we talked about the temptation to bargain with God and you know it's kind of even myself you think well I don't do that and you probably thought well I don't do that either and, but sometimes we do we bargain with the call of Christ to, when he bids us to come and die to our old self and we can begin to manufacture what the word of God says to make it suit uh, me we don't we want to say well we don't want to be too legalistic we need to fit in with the world and we say well Jesus may have said love your enemies but maybe he meant don't take active revenge against them. We can soften, in, soften it up. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. Maybe he meant, well, I'm one of the ways, and there's many ways you can come to God. When he said, seek first the kingdom, maybe he meant seek first all the other things in life that might make you happy, but don't forget, even if I'm on the periphery, I'm here as well. When he said, you'll be my witnesses, maybe he meant, well, that's good for others and not for me. I like my church, my home group, the way it is. He wouldn't ask me to get a little bit uncomfortable. When he said, you need to forgive your enemies, maybe if they deserve it, we could say. When he says to encourage one one another daily, maybe if I'm in the right mood or the right place, then there's so much I can look at to criticise anyway, I'm too busy. We can soften it up to make it our own gospel, but that's not good news. And, and we know that that's not what we're supposed to do. And all these things, we're evading that clear call of Jesus to absolute obedience. That's the disciple, and we said last week that costs us. When we really take his word and really live out those attitudes, it can cost. Emotionally, when we choose to love and choose to forgive. Financially, when it's sacrificial for God's mission. Relationally, relationally we said you might lose relationships, you might gain relationships, and loads more. It's not an easy road. But it was a fulfilling one. It is a fulfilling one when Christ says, you can have life in all its fullness if you follow me. It's all about him. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help in that. And this morning, I felt we needed to talk about that outpouring uh, of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring, that powerful, life-giving force that is available to all of us that we have to draw on. You know, in the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Spirit is described as the Lord and giver of life. And we've got to ask ourselves this morning, is he the Lord? Do I really take on board what God's word says? Do I really let the Spirit of God apply that to my heart? Or do I just still go my own way and say, well, did he really mean that? Maybe I can soften that up a bit to make my life a bit easier. He's the Lord and giver of life. He's the Lord because we want to do as he says. He's the giver of life because he gives us power for now. He gives us power within us to live out this difficult life, to forgive when we don't want to, to love when we think they don't deserve it, to serve when we're tired, to give financially when we're, we're a bit tight. You know, it's all these things. The Spirit helps us. He helps us in our character. He helps us to become more like Christ. And therefore we can say, the old has gone, the new has come. I've broken with the world. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I live for Christ now. And we said this, my allegiance is to him and to him alone. And Jesus had these words to say to somebody who tried to distract him from his mission. And we need to uh, remember those words when we're distracted from our mission to become more like him. When someone tried to distract him from his call and what he had to do, Peter, and remember we said last week, he was a, I think he was quite bold. 
He took him aside when Jesus said, I must go to the chief priests, to the Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, and they'll kill me. And, but I'll rise again after three days. And Peter approaches him and he rebukes him, the Bible says. Peter rebukes God. What a brave man. And we might think, well, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. Because Peter's saying, well, effectively, I know best. You're not going to do that. I know what's good, not you. And he rebukes God. And then God, Jesus himself, turns to him with those words that send that shiver down your spine. Get behind me, Satan. You don't know the things of God. You know the thoughts of man. Every time I choose or you choose to say, actually, I think I'm going to do it my way. I think I'll choose to to curse rather than bless, uh, to criticise rather than to build up, to tear down, to not forgive, to not love, to not give my all, to not have the spiritual We're saying, I know better. I know better than you. Uh, And you don't know as much as I do. We're putting ourselves in God's position. Get behind me, Satan. Anything that distracts us, uh, our attitudes, character, selfishness, is because of him. And we said we have to have faith. If we have real faith, we're going to take God at his word, we're going to believe what he says, and we're going to apply it to our lives. If I, if, I, if, if I obey, then I get life in all its fullness. I'm living in a true relationship with God. And if I don't, it's because I think I know best. I know more than God. I'm putting myself in that place of Peter rather than of the disciple, the apprentice, the one who's learning. The disciple becomes the teacher. I think I can tell God what he should do. And I just felt as we come to communion, uh, it's an opportunity for, for me. I preached myself first before I ever preached to you. And I get convicted myself first and I repent myself first and then I try and live it out as, as best I can. And I know we're all people doing the best we can. Of course we are. But as we come to communion... I felt it, uh, God say, it's an opportunity for people to lay this down now, the attitudes, the, the me thinking, and thinking of God's kingdom, and seeking first the kingdom, seeking first for the community that's around us, uh, looking at, uh, at the people that don't, are not in these, this building or, or the other congregations once or twice a week, to really lay our lives down, to really give up those attitudes, to really be a blessing to the people uh, we meet and to say, God, you're God and I'm the apprentice, I'm the disciple and you know best and I don't. I'm just going to follow you and just see what happens. I used to have this racing bike. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money when I was younger and so um, my dad said, well, your birthday's coming. I always wanted a racer. You know, the drop handlebars. And you remember the old bikes? They had the gears on the frame. Do you remember that? You had two. You had two if you was a bit flash. You know, had one for two cogs at the front and you had six at the back, which meant you had 12 gears. I was good at maths as well. And, and you had this one, I think. The left one was for the big cog, and this one was for the ones at the back. And I wanted this bike, and I wanted the 26-inch wheel, uh, but I'm not tall now, and I was a lot shorter then. My dad said, no, you've got to have the 24-inch wheel. I said, I want the 26-inch wheel um, because, you know, I'm eight, and Dad, you're 30, whatever you are, and I know best. Um, anyway, he knew best. We got the 24-inch wheel. And that was great. And I loved it. It was a calf, I can remember the name of it, silver, and it was a calf of Concord. That's what it was called. And I loved it. And I used to clean it and, and get all the chrome cleaner out for the wheels. And I really took it. And I, I, honestly, I loved that bike. I used to go on it all the time. And, my, and we weren't supposed to go the other side of Raynham where I lived uh, because that meant you had to cross the A13. And I wasn't allowed to cross the A13. It's a much busier road there then than it is now because you've got the whole bypass thing. And so I wasn't allowed to cross it. But on the other side of the A13, which I regularly crossed, I just didn't tell my parents because I knew best, you see. My dad didn't know best. Um, There was a subway 
You know, because not, not for the young people here somewhere you're going to get something to eat. It, was some, it, was, it went under the roundabout, you know, a subway, right? And, and, of course, my dad had always said to me, don't go racing that bike, don't go in the subways and blah, blah, blah. And the problem is there were no subways this side of Raynham. The subway was the other side of Raynham on the other side of the A13. So, of course, I know best. So I'm flying down this subway because it had a hill. Remember, you go down the hill and it goes along under the road and then it goes up again. And we were taking bets that who could go the fastest, go along without pedaling and get up the other side. Now, law of physics tells you that can't happen, but we tried. So I'm flying down this thing because when I got to the end, some bloke comes down and he had a bike and it wasn't a racing bike. Racing bike's quite flimsy, see? He had a chopper. And uh, that was, uh, you know, they, they only had three gears on the middle, right? <laughs> You buy a chopper now, they're not allowed to do that. Health and safety, that's true. They're not allowed, they've got to have the handle pass. Not allowed to take your hands off, hands free. But a chopper was, was bigger. And so my racing bike goes smashing into the chopper and my front wheel literally is buckled like this. And I, I, and, you know, I have to say I cried because I hurt my knee, but it wasn't really that I thought, oh, no, I've done my biking and I love my bike, I love my bike. And I couldn't tell my, my, I couldn't tell my dad how I'd done it because I wasn't supposed to be there. You see? So I'm now walking the wrong side of Raynham, hoping no one sees me and knows my parents, because I've got this buckled wheel. And I'm only little, and I'm trying to carry it. It took me ages. I got back, and I goes, what have you done? So I, I, don't know, I left it outside the shop and came out, and it was like that. <laughs> so he said, oh, right, well, you know, you're going to have to save up and get, get a new wheel. I used to have 50p pocket money a week. And I remember it was £4.50 for the new wheel because we got it from the shop in Barking. Anyway, the problem was, the problem was my brother, my dear brother, three years older than me, was with me when this happened, you see. <laughs> and for the next four months, I kid you not, he blackmailed me like you wouldn't believe. He said, if you don't give me that new record, I remember uh, buying a, a police record, Roxanne. He said, if you don't, and it was, a, it was one of the early vinyl, blue, you know, coloured ones. If you don't give me that record, I'm telling Dad, that you crashed your bike in the subway and you weren't supposed to be there. It never crossed my mind that he wasn't supposed to be there either. <laughs> it's literally it's only this second I've thought of it. <laughs> Sharp as a beach ball, I am. Yeah. Anyway, for four months, anything, anything happened. Got, like, you know, you two, do the washing up. You're doing that, because you know what that... And for four months, I suffered. And then it just got unbearable. I mean, he was, I was just... He was bullying me. Was, you know, when you meet my brother, he's a nice bloke now. But at the time, we, you know, used to fight all the time. And in the end, it got to a point, and I was racked with guilt. So I thought, Dad, he's going to find out one day. I was racked with guilt. And my mum came home from work and I said, I can't take it anymore. I've got this secret, I've done something wrong, and David's blackmailing me, and, and I crashed my bike down the subway. She goes, yeah, we know. <laughs> what? what? Yeah, I wanted you to tell us. I said, oh, no, Dad, you know, we have no money, Dad's going to... She goes, no, it's okay. My dad comes home, to this day, I don't know if she told him, what I do know is that on the Saturday... My brother, she told my brother off when he came from school. I really enjoyed that. And, and, um, and then uh, on the Saturday, my dad took me to Bark. He said, come, let's go and buy that wheel together. Put his arm around me. He took 50p out of my pocket money. He put the other four quid in. I bought my wheel. I was really happy. When I finally confessed and said my attitude had been wrong, I'd gone down the wrong road, I'd, I'd done something wrong against my dad, and then I lied to him to try and keep out of it, the release and relief when I finally said... I can't live with this anymore. I can't put on this veneer 
if you like, of respectability. I've got to tell the truth. And the relief, even though I thought punishment was coming, which it never did, actually I got blessed. He went and bought me the will. Now secretly, I think, my mum probably said, Ian's had a nightmare. You know, he's been punished enough. Go and get the will. And, you know, my dad tends to do what mum tells him. So that's what happened. But the relief... Hanging on to the sin, you know, I know it's a funny illustration, but it's a true one, and it really ate me up. The relief that just by saying something, which it turns out my parents already knew. And of course, when we come to confession, God already knows. We're not letting him know, he knows. We're letting him know that we know, and we know it's sin, and we know it's wrong, and we confess it. And in the same way, the relief, the release to say Christ has died for it, and now I can live free, I'm released from it, is amazing. Yeah, I used to love that bike. It's a great bike. It got damaged because I was disobedient. I thought I knew best. I didn't listen to my own dad. And I went down a subway and all the rest of it. Deceiving ourselves, deceiving yourself, saying you're okay, that your attitudes are fine. You don't have to give them to the Father. That, that maybe a relationship is fine. You don't have to give that to the Father. Uh, maybe uh, my encouragement is good enough. I don't have to give that to the Father. Uh, the way I tear people down, that's fine. They deserved it. I don't need to give that to the Father. I'm always going the wrong way. I need to be able to say to God, you know best, you're my father, and I'm going to trust you and take you at your word. And I want to come to communion with all my hurts and pains and hang-ups, which we've all got, I've got them, and give them to God and confess them. Because anything in darkness is bad. And we bring things out into the light before God. Sometimes we share amongst ourselves, other times we go straight to our great high priest, Jesus. We don't have to go to a priest to confess. We have a great high priest in Christ. And then I can receive that forgiveness and I've effectively confessed and I'm set free and the week is better because I'm free, it's been paid for. And Jesus says in this passage that we read that streams of living water can flow from you. Can flow from you. And as you're filled more and more with his word and his spirit and we're obedient and we're allowing him to work in our lives, he's saying you're you're getting filled up and then you're letting it all go. And you know, I saw a glimpse of that yesterday in here. You know, people had a passion for it. Lots of people got involved. The teachers were coming because they've got a passion for the kids. You've got organisations coming because they've got a passion for mental health. Uh, all the various things. Really, all, well, I say all we did. It was a lot of organising. Realistically, we opened up our building to a community so that they could be blessed, that we could help. But then when you looked at everything else that went on with Christians in here and the conversations that happened, you think streams of living water flowing. It was happening all over the place, on the fence outside, in the foyer, just outside here, in here, in the back room. It was amazing. And none of it was forced or contrived. God was just working because people had opened up their hearts to him. And it's not the only thing that goes on. Loads of stuff goes on here throughout the week. And all those, all those people being obedient and serving God, streams of living water, as they are filled, it flows from them. And so as we work through this passage, and it is brief, I told you it was a long introduction, uh, but this is just really quickly flowing through. But th- th- this passage we read, uh, uh, John 7, 10 to 41, talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, they're going, and, and you know, there's questions answered through, through the whole passage. Uh, so first of all, verse 10, however, after his brothers had left for the festival, we're talking about Jesus, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? People are searching for Jesus all the time. Conversations we had yesterday, people saying, where is God? I believe in God. Who is he? What does he do? What's he, has he got a plan for my life? People are searching. And even there, when he goes to this uh, Feast of Tabernacles, where is he? 
Where is this person everyone's talking about? And of course, there's all sorts of dialogue that goes on about who he is. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. And people believe that now as well. They think, well, Jesus is a good man. Billy Connolly famously said that. I don't believe in uh, Christianity, but I believe Jesus was a good man. You know, he's more than a good man. He was fully God. Others, uh, others um, replied, no, he deceives the people. And people say that now. People don't want to come to church. They think they're going to get brainwashed, and it's not true. Where is he? He's a good man. That's mistaken identity. He's a deceiver. That's a mistaken mission. He's the one who draws people to himself. And it goes on, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were there amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without being taught? You see, as he's talking, he's talking, he's saying the things of God. When you hear the words of Jesus, they're the sort of thing you'd expect God to say. And, and of course it is, because he is God. And we know that his teaching was good because they're amazed. There's teachers all over the place, but then when this one came, they're amazed. And he answers them, well, the reason is, verse 16, my teaching isn't my own. It comes from him who sent me. The teaching is of God, which means he's more than just a man. He's fully man, fully God. And then he says, verse 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching is to do the will of God. You have a daily choice not to. But we, choose, we want to choose yes. We want to say yes to God, yes to Christ. If not, then I'm Peter. I know best. I know better than you. I'm going to ride the bike down the subway. And then I'm going to have to lie about it. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. See, those who try and speak and make sense of the world without God, without the wisdom of God, are just going to make errors. And we can see that uh, in our world. And he goes on to say, verse 25, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man... They are trying to kill. Here he is, speaking publicly. They're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? They're beginning to get it. You know, is he the Christ? And because Jesus confirms it, verse 29. Then Jesus, still teaching in temple courts, cries out, Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. He's unashamed. He's saying, God the Father has sent me. And then, of course, that invitation leaping ahead. A bit of a thrust of what I wanted to say this morning. Verse 37, those famous words. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone wants this life that I'm offering, if anyone wants to come and be enriched by the word, if anyone wants to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let him come and drink. And it's echoes of the provision of God when Israel escaped from slavery, in, uh, as told in uh, Exodus. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 10, from 1 to 4. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Now remember, he's talking. He's talking about the Exodus. Right back in the Old Testament. And he says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. You know, we talk about a pre-existent Christ. He's, he isn't just 2,000 years old. He's pre-existent. He's forever. And there he was in that passage. The rock is Christ. Now Jesus, in his passage, is inviting people to him and to say, follow me. Don't follow your ways. Follow me. He's saying, follow me because I'm the Lord. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to help you to do that. 
Release and let go of that idea that you know what's best. Give over, give over everything to him, he said. Trust in him. Whatever's going on, you must trust. He is the source. He is the life. He is the way, the truth. I've got that one wrong way. I know that first. Like back of my he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. He points to himself. And true relationship is saying, I want to follow your way, not mine. I want to be committed, not half-hearted. I want to give forgiveness rather than bearing a grudge. I want to encourage rather than discourage. I want to build up rather than tear down. I want to learn rather than ignore. I want to love rather than hate. I don't want to rebuke Jesus and say, you know what, I know best, I know better than you, and align myself with Peter. We must recognise who's behind that thinking. It's of Satan himself. Jesus invites you to live a life lived in him. And he says, if you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, I will give you the power, give you the Holy Spirit. Verse 37, the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the Spirit. Whoever believes in him, if we believe in him, we're going to do as he says. We're going to trust him. We're going to hand over everything to him. Verse, verse 40, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. And then finally, verse 41, others said, no, he's, he is the Messiah. This is the one. They've got it, finally. And if he's the Messiah, if he's the anointed one, the Christos, the Christ, the one that everyone spoke about, then surely I have to put my faith in him and not in myself. I have to listen to what my father says. I have to listen to his word. I have to go to God and say, yeah, I, want, I want streams of living water to flow out of me. And he promises it will. So last week we spoke about how discipleship costs. And it comes down to faith to say, I believe he knows better than me. And so I'm going to follow his ways. Not for me to be a Peter, effectively rebuking God, which scares me. I don't want to rebuke God in my attitudes and my words and my ways, thinking I know better than him. What I want to do is when those attitudes enter my heart, which they're there, and the Bible talks about the battle that wages within us, I want to say, get behind me, Satan. I'm choosing, choosing to follow your ways. As leaders, and I'm sure as you as a congregation, whenever something, um, um, a time is coming up, sometimes it's Christmas or Easter or even this event, that we, there's stuff that happens, and it's almost laughable, except it's not funny, but we say, it's just so, he's just so overplayed his hand, uh, because he'll try and come against you, he'll try and come against us, and, and it's easy to respond in the wrong way. We have to say, get behind me, Satan. I will choose to bless, choose to love, choose to forgive, choose to serve. Myself and you, we can only find true life in him. I was going to do this illustration, but I couldn't get the stuff, um, or I ran out of time. Um, but it was going to be a clear sort of something. This is why I can't get it. I can't even describe it. It was, imagine a clear bucket with a hard, really hard sponge on the top. I'm glad you found it funny, Kate. I knew you'd get it. It's a great laugh. I love laughter. Um, and, but, you know, if you get a brand-new sponge, you know you get a brand-new sponge, and if you just sit it on the water, it will stay there. And it will take ages for the water just to, just to get into the sponge. Um, and sometimes you've got to say, right, it needs a bit of, you know, more work. And you get the sponge and you put it in the water and you squeeze it. And all the time you're squeezing it, it's taking in the water. And by the time you're finished, you immerse it and it, and it fills itself with the water. When you hold it up, all the water's pouring out. 
And surely that's how we need to be as Christians. As we're immersed in Scripture, as we ask the Spirit to come and fill us, and Jesus promises he will, that streams of living water will flow from us. As we serve each other, serve the community, serve God, we've got to be doing that in the right heart. And it'll only happen if the Spirit's in us and given us that desire. Water flows everywhere. And yes, there was a, a great example. There's many others, loads of different ways people serve in this church. But streams of living water will flow from within. But only if you're filled. And if you're empty or you're spiritually dry, you're trying to say, God, I know best. You know, I'm going to be Peter. I know best. No, surely not. Surely I can't take this for its word. Surely I can keep that attitude. Surely I can keep that grudge. Surely I don't need to love that person. Surely I don't need to feed the hungry or clothe the poor, whatever. Surely someone else can do that. Then I'm walking away from Jesus. When I'm walking towards him, it's looking for the opportunities, looking for the Spirit's promptings, looking for ideas, events, whatever it is. The people I meet, the way I speak, the way I speak to them. We can build up or tear down. We can bless or we can curse. But Jesus says, come to me if you're thirsty. And streams of living water will flow from you. And by this he meant the Holy Spirit. So as we approach communion, let's be open uh, to him and ask him to fill you again. As we approach him, we're going to have a time of uh, worship now. And uh, in that, uh, there's just time for you to pray, to intercede. Pray for yourself, pray for the people next to you, pray for situations. If you want some specific prayer, just wander up the back and ask someone up there to pray for you. Uh, There's elders around and prayer team. So, you know, just have a time where it's between you and God. And I'm going to pray that God the Holy Spirit will impart in your heart the area that he's asking you to change. So the more you can let go, the more you can empty of yourself, then the more there is for God's Spirit to come in. Could be an attitude, could be you need healing, could be the way you've dealt with someone, it could be the, the way you've been dealt with, whatever it is. God says, come to me if you're thirsty. He'll fill you with your spirit so you're overflowing. He calls you. Even I, I know my own failings, as many of them. But he says, you're worth it in anyway. He still calls me to come to him. He calls you to come to him because you're worth it. He says, call on his name. Don't be deceived by these people. Well, who, who is he really? Is he just a good teacher? Is he just a man? Be like the ones at the end, end of verse 41. No, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. So call on his name. And he says that I'll fill you to overflowing, that you can stand against anything that life throws at you. What's that saying on the whiteboard? People uh, wrote it yesterday. They're encouraged to do it. I've survived 100% of my worst days. You know, that's a great saying. You're here. He's got you through, and he will continue to get you through, even when life throws some curveballs at you. He says to you, you're his. The Bible says he's given you the right to be called children of God. And he's yours. He's yours. You know, we are the people of his pasture. He says, come to me and drink to call on him. He says, the spirit will fill you and flow from you. He'll lead you and he'll build your faith as you take those steps for him. There's a lot of worry ahead of yesterday, I can tell you. Um, but God's blessed it and he's, he's done more than we probably thought he could. He'll take you further than you ever thought you could go. Many of you here today will testify to that. And his presence will be with you always. So what's going to happen now is uh, I'm going to pray for us. And and the band are going to sing a song. And just use that time. Just sit. 
just reflect. If you want to sing along, you can sing along, but pray. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to impart on you whatever needs imparting on you. And then we, can, then we can come to communion and you can be assured of forgiveness, of love, of reconciliation, of restoration. You've confessed. Okay, and then you can go to the shop and buy the new front wheel because you, you've been set free. You're released. You're released. You're not broken anymore. You're not unfit for purpose. You've been set free. And, and you've got real freedom to go and serve God. So just use that as your uh, response. Uh, intercede for others. Whatever you want to do, the Spirit will, will put it on your heart. So, Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you now as we as remain in your presence. I pray, Spirit, you will minister to us in whatever way you need to. In Jesus' name, amen.